Good afternoon, and welcome to Outer Cape News on WOMR. My name is Matthew Dunn. This is your update on what's happening on the Lower and Outer Cape, drawing on stories reported in the pages of the Provincetown Independent, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. In this week's edition, Beth Dunn has the story about the retirement of longtime State Representative Sarah Peake, and we have an update on the controversies in Wellfleet Town Government, and Ira Wood is here with a matter of opinion about Valentine's Day with George and Martha. State Representative Sarah Peake has announced that she will not seek re-election later this year. Her decision will bring to an end a nearly two-decade-long career in the State House when her ninth legislative term concludes on December 31st. The Provincetown-based Democrat serves the 4th Barnstable District, which includes the four Outer Cape Towns, plus Orleans, Chatham, and Harwich. She was first elected to the House in 2006. In a statement released last Friday, Peake said it has been the honor of a lifetime to serve the district and to help craft legislation that makes sure our environment, economy, and way of life can thrive here on the Outer and Lower Cape. With close to a year left in her last legislative term, Peake said she's looking ahead to what she can accomplish. In addition to helping people untangle the governmental red tape associated with unemployment insurance, Mass Health, and the Registry of Motor Vehicles, Peak's priority for the term is passing Governor Maura Healey's housing bill. State Senator Julian Sear said he got a little teary-eyed when he heard about Peak's retirement. Sear described Peak as someone who had the courage to step up and run as an openly LGBTQ person at a time when very few people from the community were in office. He said her leadership inspired him and scores of others to take an active role in government. Among the many accomplishments from her tenure, Peake led the charge to create the Cape Cod and Islands Water Protection Fund, which provides a funding mechanism to help defray the cost of sewer projects on Cape Cod. She was involved in efforts to protect access to abortion and to update the state's gun safety laws. And she was there for the vote that made marriage equality a permanent part of the state constitution. Peake and her wife ran a Provincetown bed and breakfast from 1993 until 2015. Peake also served on the Provincetown Select Board before her time on Beacon Hill. Post-retirement, Peake plans to enjoy all that Provincetown has to offer. And she said that people should stay tuned for whatever else might be next. This year also marks the end of an era for Montano's restaurant in Truro. After more than 35 years of running Truro's only year-round option for dinner, Bob Montano is selling the business that bears his name. The buyer is Ed Medeiros, a part-time Truro resident who runs a restaurant in Plainville called Frankie's International Bistro. In addition to his two houses in Truro, Medeiros owns a real estate business with commercial properties in Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and Maine. The new owner lives in Seekonk when he's not in Truro, and he said he plans to change very little about Montano's. The transfer of ownership of the restaurant license was approved by the town's Board of Health on January 2nd, and the liquor license transfer was approved by the Select Board on January 9th. 
The sale will now go to the State Alcoholic Beverages Control Commission for the final authorization. At hearings on the license transfers, members of the Board of Health and Select Board said they were relieved that Medeiros seemed committed to changing very little about the establishment. The restaurant building comes with about four acres of land and has the capacity to seat 188 customers. According to the real estate listing, the building's roof, deck, and septic system have all been recently upgraded. The property includes a two-bedroom apartment that is currently used as workforce housing. According to listing agent Richard Catania, the ultimate sale price was $2.2 million, which includes the real estate, business, equipment, and furniture, as well as all the restaurant's recipes. Madeiras had been looking to buy and pounced on the listing when it was first posted in August. He said that were it not for his two grandsons, he would be in Truro full-time. Montano bought the property on Route 6 in 1988 when it was a Portuguese seafood place called Captain Josie's. He said some of his staff have been around since day one, while many more have been with him for at least 20 years. According to the real estate listing, the restaurant has 35 employees. Medeiros's intention to preserve Montano's extends to the staff, all of whom, according to Montano, plan to stick around. Madero said he's thinking about ways to expand the restaurant's offerings, perhaps adding lunch and Sunday brunch to the repertoire. He's also considering adding vegan dishes to the menu. For his part, Montano said he's looking forward to turning over a new leaf, taking a break, and then coming back and doing something different, or just chilling out. As the future of one restaurant in Truro appears to be secured, there's a new light shining on Main Street in Wellfleet. Pizza Spinello opened its doors on January 3rd to a town full of people hungry for a new dinner spot. The takeout joint moved into 317B Main Street in December after operating as a pop-up at Bagel Hound on Route 6 last winter. Three days a week, Spinello takes online orders, then dishes out six kinds of square pies. Owners John and Jennifer DuPonte say they feel at home in the space beneath where the Lighthouse restaurant used to be. The Lighthouse, which closed its doors in 2018, after 40 years in business, was the last remaining year-round restaurant on Main Street in Wellfleet. When the Lighthouse owner died in 2019 and the family began looking to sell the business, they ran into trouble. The transfer of the restaurant would have triggered a required upgrade to the property's septic system, and the expense likely deterred potential buyers. Because the new restaurant is takeout only, the existing septic system can accommodate the business. Jennifer DePonte said she hoped more restaurants could return to Main Street once a central sewer system is installed. But the completion of a downtown sewer system in Wellfleet is not likely to happen until 2031. Members of the Center for Coastal Studies' right whale ecology team have been on the lookout for North Atlantic right whales returning to Cape Cod Bay, and this week the team spotted several of the critically endangered animals. The researchers have come to expect the whales' annual return from their southern wintering habitat by early January, so the sightings come as a relief. It's difficult for scientists to get an exact number, but there were two females the team members were able to identify definitively. Aphrodite, a 37-year-old female, and Archipelago, an adult female first observed in 2003. 
Before Wednesday's sightings, the team observed two right whales in the Stellwagen Bank National Marine Sanctuary on January 12th. Another team spotted four right whales southeast of Nantucket on December 23rd. The researchers photographed Aphrodite and Archipelago feeding at the surface near Wood End Light off Provincetown. Both females had calves with them last year, but only Aphrodite brought her baby into the bay. Although Archipelago did not visit last year, 10 other mother-calf pairs all spent time in the bay. Right Whale Ecology Program Director Charles Stormy Mayo said the team would have expected to see some of the whales back in the bay sooner, but noted that the patterns change year by year. Scientists estimate only about 356 right whales are alive today. In recent years, much of the population has spent time in Cape Cod Bay before proceeding further north for the summer. Usually, the majority of sightings happen in March and April, and the whales can often be seen from shore, particularly at Herring Cove Beach and Race Point in Provincetown. In the coming weeks, the team will continue monitoring the right whale population by boat and plane, weather permitting. The Center for Coastal Studies also has a lineup of guided whale walks planned this spring, starting at the end of March and continuing through April. The scene at Duck Harbor in Wellfleet has changed dramatically in a short period of time. For the past three years or so, robust high tides have been washing inland, transforming the landscape. Katie Castaño at the Center for Coastal Studies said these repeated overwashes are unusual. Normally, with overwash events, the breach is healed by sand washing in, but that's not happening at Duck Harbor. This dynamic presents researchers with a golden opportunity to study the effects of overwashes on coastal vegetation, and scientists from the Center for Coastal Studies and the Cape Cod National Seashore continue to monitor the changes closely. The research conducted here may provide insights that can be applied in marsh restoration projects elsewhere, including the project currently underway at the Herring River in Wellfleet. Generally, overwash situations are associated with storms, but scientists know that certain high tides at Duck Harbor are likely to produce an overwash even in the absence of an actual storm. That means they can plan to be in the field when the overwash happens, and research can be conducted in non-stormy conditions. Access to the area is also easier than it was a few years ago. The regular intrusion of salt water killed trees and other plants behind the beach, and last year the seashore began a clearing project in the area that removed 80 acres of dead vegetation. The project, which is managed by Ducks Unlimited, is continuing this winter, with an additional 40 acres set to be cleared and mulched. Castaño said salt marsh vegetation is already beginning to reappear in the cleared and mulched area. She said as long as Duck Harbor stays open, nature will persist and salt marsh vegetation will continue to grow. For Outer Cape News, this is Beth Dunn. In a story that we initially reported last week, Wellfleet Assistant Town Administrator Silvio Janeo resigned on January 16th, just one week after being named to the position of Interim Town Administrator in the wake of Town Administrator Rich Waldo's resignation last month. 
Janeo resigned before taking on the new role at Town Hall. Janeo's last day in Wellfleet will be February 15th. Waldo's last day will be February 9th. The select board held a closed session on January 16th to negotiate Janeo's contract as interim administrator. According to select board chair Barbara Carboni, after the executive session, Janeo handed her his resignation letter. Carboni said the resignation did not appear related to the negotiation. In explaining his decision, Janeo told the Provincetown Independent that the most important thing to him is his well-being and his mental health, and he wouldn't be effective in his position without those things in place. Janeo came to Wellfleet in October after serving as Plymouth's Director of Human Resources. Janeo said he knew of Wellfleet's tangled financial history and knew that the town needed help organizing its internal controls, as laid out in the State Department of Revenue's review last February. Once here, Janeo said, he discovered that the financial problems were symptoms of a larger staffing epidemic. He said Waldo has made a lot of strides to fill the vacancies that have plagued the town's administrative, financial, and health departments. But despite these recruiting efforts, Janeo said he saw a systemic lack of support for staff from the town's select board, resulting in difficulties with retention. Janeo said he saw this lack of support very soon after starting the job, which was highlighted when town staff delivered a joint letter to the select board on December 5th demanding better support. Read aloud to the board by Director of Community Services Suzanne Grout-Thomas, the letter stated that failure to support current staff does not create a productive, attractive, or even safe work environment for potential new staff members, as well as for current staff. Janeo said for staff to raise such matters in public was a huge red flag, but the select board's response to the letter was muted. On the other hand, Janeo said that Wellfleet has the best staff he's ever seen, that everyone on the staff was welcoming and willing to help. The select board was slated to hold a first round of interviews for an interim town administrator on Wednesday, January 24th. According to the meeting's agenda, the candidates include former town administrator Harry Turkanian and Liz Hartsgrove, the current assistant town administrator in Bourne. Carboni told the Independent that the board will be holding another interview on Monday the 29th. Carboni said the board will also appoint a search committee for the job of permanent town administrator. The town has started the procurement process for hiring a professional recruiter to fill the permanent administrator roles. Meanwhile, the board of the Wellfleet Seasonal Residents Association wrote a letter to the select board expressing concern over the state of the town and demanding to restore stability in town government. It was read by Susan Reverby during the public comment period of the board's January 9th meeting, notably before Janeo announced his resignation. The letter cited a long list of what it called crises plaguing the town, those included a lack of stable executive leadership, incivility among members of the select board, morale issues among town staff along with the board's failure to respond to staff concerns, and 
the board's decision to incur a $4.5 million penalty rather than work cooperatively with a federal government agency to facilitate the dredging of the harbor's mooring area. In its January 8th letter, the association offered to sit down with the board to explore how the seasonal community could help the town address its challenges. The challenges in Wellfleet extend to the shellfish department. A budget request made last year by Wellfleet Shellfish Constable Nancy Chivetta included an objective to hire and train a new recreational deputy shellfish constable with year-round responsibilities. That job is now listed on the town website. But the posting has angered a group of townspeople who claim the process by which it was created, approved, and posted is illegitimate. The conflict has spilled out into public hearings and meetings, bringing more trouble to a town government that is already dealing with staffing and other issues. The $8 million Wellfleet shellfish industry includes 170 commercial shellfish harvesters, 150 grants, and 1,000 recreational licenses. In Wellfleet, currently three full-time positions include the shellfish constable, the assistant constable for propagation, and a deputy shellfish constable. Two seasonal constables have been hired in the past for the busy season. Constables ensure that local, state, and federal regulations are followed and provide emergency services if necessary. Chavetta cited exponential growth, propagation efforts, increased public health responsibilities, and the need to ensure the safety of the shellfish harvest as reasons for the new position. The April 2023 annual town meeting warrant with the operating budgets for the town's five divisions included the shellfish department's salaries and expenses. Town meeting voters approved the article. A full-time seasonal combined with a part-time winter position was included in the department's budget. Once approved and posted, no one applied for the three-quarter time position, according to Chavetta. Waldo asked the select board for approval to reorganize the shellfish department at a July 13th meeting. That reorganization made the position full-time to attract more candidates. The select board sought and received the endorsement of town council for the reorganization. The select board approved it at an October 17th meeting. Discussion was bitter and divisive at the meeting, with some shellfishers protesting. The Finance Committee voted to recommend the full-time position at its December 27th meeting. Shellfish Advisory Board member Brad Morse has been an outspoken critic of the position, claiming expansion of the department, and not just the budget, needs town meeting approval. He claims the process by which Waldo and Chavetta arrived at posting the position was illegal and deceitful. At their meeting last Thursday, the Shellfish Advisory Board voted to ask for the select board's approval for them to see the town council's opinion on the matter. The 40-hour-a-week deputy shellfish constable position would pay $25 an hour with benefits under union guidelines. Things have settled down in Truro for the time being, as hearings have taken place for most of the people whose Truro voter registrations were challenged in November. 
The Board of Registrars was reconstituted after those hearings were concluded. But the question of who can vote in Truro isn't entirely resolved. Three people whose registrations were challenged have yet to have their hearings. Challenges still stand against Nancy Medoff, Daniel Paisner, and Robert Panacidi, according to town clerk Elizabeth Verde, and they will be summoned to appear before the registrars. All three were challenged by registered voter John Slater. Of the 66 registrations challenged by the special town meeting deadline, 31 remain on the rolls, either after a hearing or because the complaint against the registration was withdrawn. Of the 35 who can no longer vote in town, 13 were removed by the registrars and 22 switched their own registrations. The Board of Registrars heard former town moderator Monica Crafts challenge to Ann Greenbaum's voter registration on January 5th. The three registrars present all voted to affirm Greenbaum's place on the town's voter roll. Greenbaum, who is a member and former chair of the Truro Planning Board, has been registered to vote in Truro since 2017. According to Town Clerk Verdi, a date for the remaining three hearings has not yet been set. And with the start of the new year, the four Outer Cape towns have begun a joint effort to spend more than $600,000 in opioid remediation funds that will come to the towns over the next 15 years. Over the next six months, the towns will together spend close to $42,000, which is a little more than a quarter of the money they've taken in so far. The money is a result of lawsuits filed by officials of various states and cities, including then-Attorney General Maura Healy, against four companies that manufactured and distributed opioid pills. The lawsuits were consolidated into one settlement agreement worth $26 billion. Most of that money goes to state governments. The towns have received roughly a quarter of their overall settlement money, with the rest to come in small increments over time. The town health departments worked with each other and with the nonprofit Outer Cape Community Solutions to develop a spending plan for the funds. A majority of the money in this round of spending will go to the AIDS Support Group of Cape Cod for harm reduction efforts, including fentanyl test strips, naloxone rescue kits, and a mobile outreach van to help distribute those and other supplies across the Outer Cape. The next largest expenditure in the Outer Cape's joint program will go to the Cape Cod Children's Place for its fund to help parents working on recovery with urgent expenses, such as car repairs or winter clothes. For Outer Cape News, my name is Matthew Dunn. Valentine's Day is approaching, and if you're a person who's not totally turned off by the holiday, and if you are fortunate enough to be in a relationship, what have you got planned? Chocolates, flowers, a romantic card? How about cuddling up together to watch a classic movie? According to a study in the Journal of Consulting and Clinical Psychology, 
Couples who watch relationship-focused movies and then discuss them with each other afterwards are more likely to stay together than other couples. In fact, the study found that watching and discussing movies together turned out to be just as effective as visiting a therapist. They give a list of suggested films, and I think I've picked out the best one. A heartbreaking movie about real and enduring love. A movie with A-list stars. And, of course, a movie that's won multiple Academy Awards. No, it's not A Star is Born or Broke. Back Mountain, or even Love Story. It's Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? If you remember, it's about a couple who spend an entire night bickering viciously with each other. It features a resentful woman who rebukes her husband for being a failure, as well as a husband who hits back by withholding affection. If that's not enough, the wife invites an innocent young couple over for drinks and ends up seducing the younger man as her husband watches tearfully through a window. A horrible relationship, I'm sure you agree, which is exactly the point, because the study suggests that most couples have a pretty good sense of what they might be doing right and wrong. So they might not really need a therapist to teach them a lot of relationship skills. They just need to make sure they use those skills by communicating with each other. But wouldn't a lighter movie be better, Sleepless in Seattle or La La Land? No, because real and enduring love is certainly not a romantic comedy. How about Casablanca or Titanic? Not really, because our essential domestic conflicts don't take place in exotic locales, but right in our kitchens. How about Beauty and the Beast or even The Princess Bride? Nope, because deep-rooted and everlasting romantic partnerships are anything but fantasies. In fact, they're all too real and sometimes bitter and sometimes full of pain, as well as acceptance and compromise and forgiveness. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf was a scandal when it opened on Broadway in 1963, full of language that was never before uttered on the American stage, behavior that horrified mainstream critics and shocked theater-going couples enough for them to buy tickets in droves because it mirrored not how they were supposed to speak to each other in the privacy of their own homes, but how they actually sometimes did. When the movie appeared three years later, it starred the most infamous married couple on earth, Elizabeth Taylor as Martha and Richard Burton as George, known for their own scandalous love affair and reckless public passion. Their relationship was the obsession of the international paparazzi because, well, it was all over the map. In his new book, Cocktails with George and Martha, Philip Gefter points out that our most intimate relationships have, 
at their core a matrix of emotional attachments that draw from the same wellspring as our original attachment feelings in infancy. In our fiercest arguments, couples play out dramas that were scripted in each partner's earliest years, full of desire, rejection, resentment, disappointment, frustration, and self-doubt. Certainly, the great love affairs of my life were never sunshine, lollipops, and roses. Not for long, anyway. They were rife with intense emotional as well as physical attraction, fiery, all-consuming arguments, and passionate reconciliations. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf challenges its audience to recognize that real relationships have an emotional foundation in which the messy psychological complexities of two people intertwine. So, if indeed you're celebrating Valentine's Day, enjoy the flowers, the chocolates, and the romantic cards, but consider combining it all with a movie and a real conversation about your relationship. I'm Ira Wood, and that's my opinion. And that does it for this week's edition of Outer Cape News. Thanks go to the Provincetown Independent, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. Thanks also to Beth Dunn and Ira Wood for their contributions to the program. And thanks to Henry and Jane Fisher and Jacob Greenberg for being sustaining members of Outer Cape News. And now stay tuned for Friday Afternoon Jazz. It's Lush Life with Scott Penn on listener-supported community radio, WOMR. Don't move your mama, don't